Okay. Good morning. You guys ready to go? Okay, because we got some stuff to talk about. All right. So I'm going to try to hit the review from last week really quick. Then we're going to dig into, we're going to cover about 500 years of Old Testament history here in just a few minutes. So buckle up, get your, get your thumbs ready uh, to either scroll through on your screen or flip through on your Bible. Um, we'll start in Genesis chapter 47, but uh, we'll get there in a minute. So last week we introduced this concept of being unentitled. Uh, the idea is that there, there is an entitlement that we experience. This is not a generational thing for those of you that think, oh yeah, I know entitled people. They're all this age. No, that's not how it works. Um, everyone experiences these moments of entitlement because we, we define entitlement as unrealistic expectations about what should come to me in life, right? Entitlement is anytime I feel like uh, something should come to me uh, because of just who I am and that I'm here and I deserve it and I earned it. Um, and that's, that's unexpected, un- unrealistic expectations about what should come to me in life. And so we, what we said is a realistic expectation about what should come to me in life is that God will provide for my needs, that's a realistic expectation because it's based on a promise of God, someone who's never broken his promise. He's always been faithful. So the realistic expectation is that God will provide my needs. So today we're going to kind of take a step forward in the direction of uh, this abundance mindset we introduced last week. And we're going to talk about the opposite of the abundance mindset, which is scarcity mindset. Abundance and scarcity as opposites. And scarcity mindset is reflected in a, a belief in what we call a zero-sum game. Some of you have heard this term. Maybe you're aware of it. Uh, It's kind of a game theory thing, not like video games necessarily. It's a whole thing. You can look it up. But the zero-sum game uh, is the idea that there's a limited amount of resources or there's a limited amount of something and that that some people are going to get more and some are going to get less because uh, of, of human nature. So the classic zero-sum game example is a youth group pizza party, okay? The youth group pizza party is a zero-sum game. There's a limited amount of pizza, and there's a lot of hungry kids. So uh, I, I did student ministry for 15 years, and I had it down to a science you order you order three slices per person, and you'll probably be fine. Um, so, but there's two mentalities that you go into a pizza party with if you're a 15-year-old. You, your, your mentality is either, okay, there's a limited amount of pizza, and I want to make sure I get all I want in case they run out. So I load my plate up with as much pizza as my plate will hold. And that may be more than I'm going to eat, but I just, I would rather have too much than not enough. So I'm going to load it up in case they run out. The other mentality is there's a limited amount of pizza and I want to make sure that everybody gets some. So I'm just going to take one slice until everybody's had some, then I'll go back for more. You can probably guess where most teenagers land on that, that spectrum of that mentality. It's typically, you know, I'm going to load up with as much as I can. So, so what do the adults have to do? We have to say two slices each your first time through, and then if there's more, you can have, you can have some extra, right? That's what we have to do. Because that's a zero-sum game. There is a limited amount of pizza. So this plays out in adult world and, and global culture in a couple different ways. One way is the concept that poverty is a result of overpopulation. Have you ever heard that or thought that? This is the Thanos theory. You guys Marvel fans? Uh, anyone? No? Okay, let me explain. Thanos is this guy who thinks that that poverty is a result of overpopulation. So the solution is to reduce the population. So his mission in life is to reduce the population of the world by half. And he's, he says that is, a, that is a blessing to humanity because then there will be enough resources for everybody, right? Sounds disturbing. 
and it is. The, uh, another way that this gets reflected in our culture is this, the idea that the, as the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. That, that reflects a zero-sum game mentality, that in order for the rich to get richer, the poor have to get poor because there's a limited amount of, of whatever, money, resources, whatever. And these, these two mentalities sort of uh, play out in, in global economy and in national budgets and all that, those kind of things, and they're based on the idea of scarcity. And scarcity says there, there's not enough for everyone, so I, I have to make sure I get what I need. And because of a scarcity mindset, uh, it's a powerful force in our hearts and in our minds. And what it does is it, 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 it touches on our fear of, of not having enough, on our need for security and our need for provision. And it, and it leads at times to some really destructive behavior in human society, this, this idea of scarcity. But, but we, we talked about abundance, right? God is a God of abundance, so as Christians, what should our mindset be? Let me give you a couple other examples of, of what this may look like because I just, I, I wanna, I really wanna impress upon you how deep this is embedded in our culture. So I'm gonna give you a statement, a quote from um, the U.S. Department of the Interior said that American oil supplies will run out in 13 years, okay? How does that, how does that make you feel? What are the thoughts that go through your mind? You're starting to think about, well, well we're, we're on our way to being, you know, oil independent, like free from, you know, fossil fuels and, and how close are we and are we going to get there in time before the, the world runs out of oil or America runs out of oil? And uh, so there, there are a lot of thoughts that go in your mind. Maybe it strikes a bit of fear. Maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's uh, like, I need to make sure I get what I can. Um, anybody want to take a guess what year that statement, that quote was uh, issued? Let's, let's share that information. Let's click the next one. 1939. Uh, oops. It happens. Uh, here's another one. The world as we know it will likely be ruined before the year blank. World food production cannot keep pace with the galloping growth of population. This was a statement issued by the Environmental Fund, a global organization. You might want to guess what year they're suggesting that the world will be ruined by when this statement was made. The world will most likely be ruined by the year 2000. Uh, world food production can't keep pace. This was, statement was issued in 1975. Guys, good news. We made it. <laughs> we, we, beat, we beat the uh, prediction, right? Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Um, what, why, why do pe These are not just random people on the street coming up with these statements. These are people who work for organizations and their job is to study these things and figure it out. Where, why, does this, why is this mentality so deeply ingrained in the human heart? I think it goes all the way back to the beginning. We talked about this last week. But the consequences of it is what I want us to understand. That the idea of scarcity produces fear and it leads to things like hoarding and stealing and oppression and colonization. And all of these things are based on the idea of scarcity, a scarcity mindset. So as followers of Jesus, as people who believe in a, a God who provides abundantly, what should our mentality, what should our idea be when it comes to scarcity versus abundance? So let's go, let's go back to Genesis. We talked last week about how Adam and Eve, when they reached for more, they got less, right? 
Thank you, the three people who were here and paid attention. Um, When you reach for more, you get less. And so God has set himself up from page one of the Bible as an abundant provider. Adam and Eve, it wasn't enough for them. They reached for more and they got less. They were removed from the garden, removed from abundance. And then uh, several hundred years pass by and God wants to demonstrate his abundance again. So he picks a, a person, he picks Abraham and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And I wanna read some of that covenant with you from Genesis chapter 12. God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. If you had to summarize that covenant in one word, what would it be? Bless, blessing, right? God says, I I have so much to give And I am going to take responsibility for giving to you and through you to give to all all the people on the earth. God, I'm an abundant giver and I wanna give. And your job, Abraham, this is what Abraham, this is his job was to have faith that God was good as his word, that God would keep his promise to be a blessing. So when he tells them to pick up and move your family to a land that I will show you later, I'm gonna tell you, after, after you get started on your journey, I'll tell you where you're going. That, that is Abraham demonstrating faith that God is gonna keep his promise to bless him and bless his descendants. Abraham didn't even have any descendants. So he demonstrated quite a bit of faith at different times. He also demonstrated a lack of faith. When a famine came on the land, God told him to go to this place. He lived there for a while, but then there was a famine. And what did he do? He moved to a place where he thought there was gonna be more food. And in, in doing so, he actually was showing, demonstrating a lack of faith in the, in the provision of God. That's a whole other story. You can read about how Abraham uh, went to Egypt and got into trouble there. But the point of the covenant uh, for today's purposes is God took responsibility for blessing Abraham and his descendants and ultimately the world through them. So let's talk about the descendants of Abraham. Uh, his great-grandson, uh, Joseph, ends up in the land of Egypt. And this whole story from, from Joseph's time to Moses' time, this whole time of the Israelites in Egypt is a, is a scarcity lesson. I mean, it's a lesson in the concept of scarcity and a zero-sum game. So we know that um, when Joseph went to Egypt, he was put in prison. He gets out because he um, interprets Pharaoh's dream that there's gonna be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And he says, I have an idea about what you should do. So Pharaoh hires him to implement his idea, which is store up a bunch of extra grain during the seven years of plenty, and then you will have some for the years of famine. So here's, here's how this plays out. Genesis 40, uh, 21 and 22. 20 and 21, sorry. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's. And Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. You're like, wait a minute, Joseph's a good guy, right? Yeah, for the most part, Joseph's a good guy. But here's what happened. The the people needed grain because there was a famine. Joseph had all the grain because he stored it all up during the years of plenty. So the people come, they buy grain when they run out. But then they run out of money. And what do they have to offer when they run out of money? Their land. So the people give their land to Pharaoh in exchange for food, and it reduces the people of Egypt to servitude, right? And then Joseph's family comes into this. So Joseph moves his family down during the famine to the land of Egypt. His father, all of his brothers, all of his nieces and nephews, about 70 people in all. And they are able to live and survive because Joseph is controlling the grain. 
Here's what we see at the end of Joseph's life, at the end of the book of Genesis. His brothers come to him and they're afraid because their father just died and they think Joseph is gonna get back at them for selling him into slavery. So here's, here's what Joseph says to his brothers. Genesis 50, 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Joseph says, the reason why we are surviving this famine right now is because God provided. He provided even through Joseph being sold into slavery and being imprisoned, you know, innocently. All, all of this happened so that God could eventually save lives by putting Joseph in the right place at the right time when the famine came. So Joseph acknowledges that the reason why you're even alive today is because God has provided. He's not going to stop doing that. Let's just keep trusting God. And here, here's what's happening, though, in the land of Egypt is this scarcity mindset is taking hold. So uh, now the people have no land. The Pharaoh has all the land. Pharaoh has all the grain. And it becomes a very uh, imbalanced relationship, an oppressive relationship, and may eventually have, uh, be what resulted in the slavery of the Israelites. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to share this quote with you from an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. Um, you, can, you can look him up. He's, he's a pretty awesome uh, writer. Um, and here's what he says about this passage. He says, the text shows that the power of the future is not in the hands of those who believe in scarcity and monopolize the world's resources. It is in the hands of those who trust God's abundance. Man, I love that. He said, what we learn from how Pharaoh acts and how Joseph and how uh, the people of Israel act is, is that the power's not really in the hands of the people who have a scarcity mindset. It's in the hands of the people who have an abundance mindset because those are the ones who are connected with the all-powerful God. All right, so let's continue. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna keep going through here. So uh, Joseph dies, and uh, we're gonna, we're, let's see what happens uh, after Joseph dies. Let's just read some of this from Exodus chapter one, uh, verse six. So Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This is a fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. I will bless you. I will make you a father of many nations. Okay, uh, verse eight. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. So they were fruitful and multiplied like God told them to be, like he promised them that they would be. And the scarcity mindset of Pharaoh. Can you see this playing out? He's like, there's too many of them. There's not gonna be enough for us because of how many there are of them. So what do we do? We have the power to oppress them so that we make sure that there's enough for us. And so that's, that's what he does. And uh, we know that, that the Israelites were in slavery then in Egypt for, for about 400 years. They cry out to God. God hears their cry and he sends Moses to uh, be a part of, of his deliverance of the Israelites. And, and this is a whole you know, story that we're skipping through really fast. But through the 10 plagues, God sets the people free from slavery in Egypt and he's sending them to the promised land. But on the way, they, they have to spend some time in the desert. Let's read about what happens to them in the desert. Let's skip ahead, Exodus chapter 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Let's pause there. So, so God, through these miraculous events, sets them free from slavery. They were oppressed, hard forced labor for hundreds of years. Now they're free, and what do they want? They want to go back. They want to go back to Egypt. Why? In their minds, Egypt is a place of abundance. And the desert is a place of scarcity. That's, that's what it looks like to them. And on the surface, that's kind of what it looks like to us, right? If you think about a desert, do you, do you imagine like a bountiful feasts, you know, being had in the desert? No, the desert's a place of scarcity, right? In Egypt, they said, we set around pots of meat. We had all that we wanted to eat. And now we're in a place where there's nothing to eat. For them, abundance was about a place and the powerful ruler in that place And scarcity was about being out from under that ruler. But what did they forget? They forgot that the reason why Egypt survived the famine was because of what? The abundant provision of God through Joseph. The whole reason they survived, the whole reason the nation of Egypt even exists at that time is because God provided. Isn't that what Joseph said at the end of Genesis? God did this. God saved all of these people because he is an abundant provider. They forgot that abundance is not about a place, it's about the presence of God. So scarcity wasn't about the desert, it was about whether God was with them or not. Because if the presence of God is where abundance is and God is with them in the desert, what will they find in the desert? Abundance. So here's, what, here's how God responds to their complaints. Verse four, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. So God says, all right, you, you think that you have to be in Egypt to experience my abundance? Guess what? I'm gonna show you. And so he, he rains down bread from heaven. They, they wake up every morning and there's bread on the ground. They call it manna because it's not like regular bread. It's kind of weird bread and they don't know what it is. So they, they say, what is it? And the Hebrew word for what is it is manna. So that's what they call it, manna. And uh, that's what they eat. And God says, I'm gonna give you enough for each day. So uh, he gives them some specific instructions. He says, go out and collect however much your family needs for the day, but don't collect any extra. Okay, those are the rules. And this is what he says. I'm gonna test them and see if they're gonna follow my instructions on this. We're testing their faith. So verse uh, 17 and 18 So the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. So they're they're following the rules. For the most part, people are just getting what they need and they have what they need for the day and they wake up the next day and there's more manna and they have what they need for that day. Except on Friday nights, they're supposed to gather double because they're not supposed to go out and collect manna on the Sabbath, the Saturday, right? So most of them are following the rules, but some people freak out a little bit and they they start to think, what if we wake up one morning and there's no manna? So they invent Tupperware and they gather more than they need for the day and they store it away just in case, just in case God doesn't come through tomorrow. And when they wake up in the morning and they go to their, they open their Tupperware, what do they find? It's rotted and full of worms, This was the test. God was saying, I I have promised you there will be manna on the ground every morning, so you don't need to gather extra. 
And if you don't put your trust in me, then what you have gathered spoils. I will provide what you need for each day. Even in the desert, God is a God of abundance and he provides what they need for each day. So you would think like, and it goes on, they, they run out of water and, and, and water comes out of the rocks just enough for them uh, to, to survive. They, they get tired of manna, so they, they want meat. And so God rains down quail and it was, it was kind of a ridiculous, it was kind of like an extravagant thing. They, they couldn't even walk around outside because the quail was stacked thigh deep on the ground. And God's like, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And <laughs> so it's kind of like, let me show you how much I actually have. Stop doubting that I'm going to provide for you. So you would think like after all this time of God miraculously providing for them, that they would have learned this as a nation and gotten the message. So when it's time, they're 40 years in the desert, comes to an end, they're ready to go into the promised land. Here's what Moses has to tell them right before they go into the promised land. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 10 and 12. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. They're going into the promised land. They just kicked all these people out. Well, all these people had farms and homes and cities and wells, and Israel just gets to take over all of this stuff. And they get to enjoy a season where they don't, they get to enjoy a harvest without having to plant. How's that sound, farmers? Does that sound good? Yeah, so that's what they get to do. And what, what does Moses predict is gonna happen? When, when you get to the land of plenty and you don't have to work and God just provides they're going to forget where it came from to begin with. They're gonna forget. And sadly, this is exactly what happens. They forget where abundance comes from. So the next season, when they do have to plant, and they're worried about whether the harvest is gonna come, instead of trusting in the provision of God, they turn to the false gods of the nations around them. The false gods, the, the wooden statues that the pagan nations would offer sacrifices to and pray to so that there would be a good harvest. The Israelites, the children of God, the people who ate manna and quail in the desert for 40 years turned to false gods for provision. That's, an, that's a scarcity mindset form of idolatry. And, and we, we kind of look at them and we go, how, how do they miss this? How, how, did they, how did they not get this? How did they not trust the promise of God he made to Abraham so long ago? I will bless you. I will bless all the people through you, all your descendants. I am the provider. I will give you what you need. How did they miss this? So that they turned to idols. And when they, when they sacrificed to an idol, basically what they're doing is they're saying, idol, I need you to bless me. I'm, I'm worried that I'm not gonna have what I need when harvest time comes. I need, I need you to bless me. So I'm offering this sacrifice or I'm doing this thing, going through this ritual or whatever so that hopefully the idol will bless me. Can you imagine what that does to the heart of God who has always provided when human beings who have witnessed his provision turn to false gods instead of to him for what they need? And we think, man, how could they miss it? How could they be so faithless, but I think we have to look in the mirror too, and we have to recognize that we do the same thing. 
When we let a scarcity mindset creep into our hearts, and this is not always about money. Sometimes it is about resources and money and food and housing and transportation, but sometimes it's about more internal things like value and recognition and appreciation and love. And we say, all right, I know that God has promised to provide what I need. My resources, my value, my identity, the recognition, appreciation that I need. God has promised to provide all of that. And yet, what do we do? Sometimes we turn to other things to provide those things. Just, just some examples uh, that you've seen about a year and a half ago, um, the, uh, the great toilet paper crisis. Guys, how long are we gonna talk about this? It, I'm not done talking about it yet, but the great toilet paper crisis of 2020 was an example of scarcity mindset, right? I'm hearing, people are saying that, that there's not gonna be enough toilet paper. So when I grow the grocery store and I see toilet paper, what do I do? I buy as much as I can. Why? Because I'm afraid there's not gonna be enough, right? And so what happens when the next person comes along who also needs, you know, just a few rolls, there's nothing left for them. Right? And this is just what we ended up with. This is human beings, and many of those human beings were people who would have said, yeah, I believe in God. I, I believe that God loves me. I, I believe that God cares, and he's involved in my life, but I better get my toilet paper because as far as I know, he's not raining that down from heaven. We also do this in more interpersonal ways. Anytime we engage in gossip, I believe this is a form of scarcity mindset. We say negative things about other people to make ourselves feel better because there's not enough value. I'm not getting enough value from God. There's not enough value to go around. Value, maybe human value is a zero-sum game and I better get what I can. And the only way for me to get more value is to take it from someone else. So we put people down. We judge people with our thoughts and our words. We form a critical spirit in our hearts. And this is all an effort. It's a, it's a scarcity mindset idolatry trying to get what we need by taking from others. When God has promised that he will provide what we need. Friends, it's my, my view that the global economy is not a zero-sum game. That because we, we have an abundant provider in God, that there, there's enough if those who have will share with those who don't. I believe there's enough. And here's what Walter Brueggemann says about that. Here's another quote from him. Wouldn't it be wonderful, he says, if liberal and conservative church people who love to quarrel with each other came to a common realization that the real issue confronting us is whether the good news of God's abundance can be trusted in the face of the story of scarcity. You might wanna jot that one down. We'll leave that on the screen for a minute because that, that, that will get you. Do we believe that God can be trusted that his abundance can be trusted when, when the, what we hear from the world is scarcity, scarcity, scarcity. You better get what you can because we're gonna run out and there's not gonna be enough. Or do we believe? Do we believe that if those who have would share with those who don't have, there would be enough? That's the system God set up. We're gonna dive into this pretty deep in two weeks. So make sure you're here for that. But that's, that's how God set this up. But on a more personal level, do, do I believe that God will provide what I need? Not just my resources. For some of us, that's the question. Is God gonna provide what I need to eat and live indoors tomorrow? And what has he said? I'll take care of you. I will provide for your needs. 
And he's given us a couple prayers that, that are on a card in your seat. So I, I want you to grab those cards. We're gonna read those uh, out loud together. And I'm gonna ask you to, to pray through these uh, prayers throughout the week. Maybe it's something you keep in your pocket, your purse, or your phone case, or take a picture of it, or whatever you need to do. Maybe it's something that you pray when you are grateful for God's provision. And you look at your life and you go, I have all I need. And you're able to pray these prayers as prayers of gratitude. But maybe it's a prayer you pray when you're not sure if you're going to have what you need. When it comes to resources or when it comes to value and identity and acceptance and love and appreciation and those, those, those internal emotional things that we need to be healthy, maybe you're not sure you're gonna have enough of those. And we pray these prayers um, throughout the week. So uh, let's, let's read the first one from Psalm 23 aloud together. Very short verse. Would you all read it with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Man, I love, I love how David, he's, he's calling back on the covenant that God made with David's ancestor Abraham. The Lord is the one who has promised to provide for me. What do I have to worry about? And then the prayer from Jesus, uh, from Matthew chapter six, would you all read that aloud with me? Give us today our daily bread. This is a tough one because um, we also would like for him to give us tomorrow's bread and next year's bread and 10 years from now bread so we can retire and take some life's vacations. And, but what has he promised? Enough for today. Enough for today. So I just want to encourage you, take those cards with you, keep them in your pocket. Um, whenever you feel anxious or you're worried about, or you see, you hear stories, or you, I want, to, I want you to start watching for scarcity mindset in the news and on social media, and I, I, I bet you'll see it pretty quickly. Whenever you see those, pull this card out. Actually, you probably won't even need the card because you can remember those, and just pray these prayers. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. What, what do I have to worry about? Father, please give me what I need for today. And, and, and tomorrow, we'll pray this prayer again. He's a God of abundance. He's promised to bless. And the question for all of God's people for all time is, do you trust him? Friends, we're gonna close with a word of prayer. I just wanna invite you um, to, to pray this with me. Would you stand? And I just... I just invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, is there, a, is there a place in your heart, in your mind, in your life where you're afraid that you're not gonna have enough? You're afraid you're not, you're not gonna have enough recognition for your hard work. You're not getting enough value from the people that you really want value from, where you're not gonna have the resources that you need for what's coming down the road. Maybe, maybe there's some fear and anxiety in your heart. Would you ask the Holy Spirit just to reveal that to you and then ask for the faith to trust in God's provision? Would you do that with me as we close? Father, thank you for being such an abundant provider and for blessing us, for most of us, just far beyond what we need. And we're grateful. So we ask this morning, God, for faith in the areas of our lives where we're not sure that we're gonna have enough, where maybe there's some fear that creeps in and maybe there's um, some ways that we try to take from others to get what we need. Forgive us, convict us, and renew in us the confidence that you're with us, you're for us, and that you are an abundant provider and we can trust you. 
Please do that in us and through us this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you. Go be salt and light in a world that desperately needs the hope of Jesus. We'll see you next week.